text. And so let's jump into 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. And if you're with me this afternoon, would you simply say, Amen. So, I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Preaching 101 rightly teaches that before a preacher, I myself, were to get up and preach you a sermon, I must first preach the sermon to myself. It's a saying within preaching that it tries to communicate that it's hypocrisy and it's, it's not very smart, at, at least, to come and try to deliver God's Word, but you yourself, first as a preacher, has not digested it, has not thought through it, and has not applied it to your life. This is a good saying, but tonight I'm taking that saying to a literal very next level. If you notice that the topic for tonight is dealing with elders, dealing with pastors. And so I'm literally going to be preaching to myself tonight. Peter starts this, that I, as a fellow elder, speak to you elders. So I'm literally preaching to myself tonight as a pastor. Now someone in here who might have a more sarcastic sense of humor might be asking the question, well, why do I even need to be here then? You could have just simply stood in a mirror at home and I could have gone home tonight and this doesn't apply to me because if I'm not an elder and you're literally preaching to elders, then what's the point for me being here? I would simply reply, you got a valid point. However, just hold your horses, right? This does apply to you. Yes, the text is aimed at pastors, and if you're not a pastor, you go, I don't really know what the point of this is, but it does matter because all of you are under the shepherding of a pastor or elder, and it is important for you to understand what that entails for you. Even though pastors or elder is the primary audience of the text, elders are not the primary focus. In fact, the congregation is the focus of the text when the point that he's saying, elders shepherd the flock. It is a command to elders because he is, has the focal point as the flock, and he used that illustratively there. So this applies to you because you sit under the leadership of an elder. You need to know what that is. And so as I preach to myself tonight and to the other elders that are in this body, I pray that you would be encouraged and you would understand fully what Christ calls Um, us to as elders. So the main point of the sermon is real simple. Elders shepherd the members of your church. Elders shepherd the members of your church. First things first, what is an elder? Is it the same thing as a pastor or is it something different? What is the purpose of an elder? What What authority does an elder have? Who can be an elder? Although we won't be able to answer all these questions tonight, these are the questions that should come to mind when you see passages or anything that is referring to elder. But since we can't answer all the questions, we will answer some of them. And the question of, is an elder the same thing as a pastor, depends on how you define these words. But for us here at New Hope, we define them synonymously. Meaning, if I say elder, I mean pastor. And if I say pastor, I mean elder. 
Now, some churches will use, uh, just depending on how they lay out their structure of leadership, they may mean pastor to mean something else. But for us here at New Hope, when we say pastor, we mean elder. So, when he's referring to the elders, who are the elders of New Hope? Well, that's myself, Pastor Jay, and Pastor Andy. We're so grateful, and I said this to you last week, but I'm grateful again for the appreciation that you have shown us. The last week as Pastor Appreciation, you poured out your love on us and the encouragement that you gave us through the written letters and just through words of affirmation. We are grateful for that. But from this point forward, just so we know, that when we say pastor, or when I say elder, I mean the same thing as we talk through this. So when he says elders, he's referring to pastors. Nevertheless, I would like for us to still spend some time giving a biblical understanding of what an elder is. If I were to ask you the question, what is an elder? Some of you may struggle to answer that question because we don't have a common language, we don't use that language of elder very much, so there might be some confusion. But if I were to ask you the question, what is a pastor, all of us could probably come up with an answer. Now, whether that answer is correct or not, that depends, but all of us have a better understanding of what we mean by pastor. But Peter says here, as we begin to think about first, as we think about what is an elder and what is the job of an elder, what is the responsibility of an elder, What is my calling? And specifically, what is my calling given by God, not just given in my job description by you, but what is my calling? What is our calling as elders here at New Hope? And Peter says this. He simply says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Now, he's going to give some characteristics to that, but there's only one command in the text. and It is this, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. And so, if you're filling in the blanks, what does it mean to shepherd the flock of God? First, it means to protect the flock. Titus chapter 1, I'm going to read verses 5 through 9. 9 is the answer that we're going to get to, but I'm going to read verses 5 through 9 so all of us can be uh, familiarized what are the expectations or the qualifications of an elder. So, let me read Titus 1, beginning in verse 5. Paul, writing to Titus, says this, This is why I left you in Crete. So that you may put what remained into order and appoint elders or pastors in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, which is another word for elder or pastor, for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. And now to truth number one, as to what does an elder do by mean to shepherd the flock? He is to protect the flock. Here it is in verse 9. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may able to give give instruction and sound doctrine, and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Notice the ending there. Rebuke those who contradict it. It is in preparation of understanding that there are going to be attacks against the church in a lot of different forms. This is specifically referring to false teaching and other things, but there are attacks against the church. And elders are called to step in. They are called to be equipped and prepared to step in and to protect the church. Paul, in his last conversation with the Ephesians elders in Acts chapter 20, would go on to say this, beginning in verse 29. I know that after my departure, 
Fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. This is language of Paul preparing the elders to protect the church of God. That when Paul, in his authority as an apostle, a writer of Scripture, a spokesman of God, as he's saying, I'm going to leave you and you're never going to see me again and I won't be a part of your church any longer, you guys get ready because the enemy's going to attack. And it's your job as an elder to step in and protect in a lot of ways. Therefore, be alert. I want you to notice of what does it mean for us to protect. And it says this. He gives kind of two examples in verse 29. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And he says, and from among you, your own selves will arise men. He's saying that there is going to come danger from the outside and there's going to come danger from the inside because that's just how the enemy works. You must be prepared to protect both ways. Illustratively, I was trying to think of a way to picture this and I couldn't help but to just think of one primary way. And this may be kind of uh, second nature to me at this point. I don't really know, but uh, I was taught this by my parents and by men uh, that I knew growing up, but this idea of what it means for me as a husband, as a father, to protect my wife and family. Now, we might think of that, and we've been taught, and I've been taught the importance of protecting my family, and that may come, and I think of it in the most extreme sense. If someone were to kick open the front door of my house, it is my job to protect them, yes? But there's a lot of small ways that every single day that I live out protecting my family. So, for example, if we're walking down the road, I'm always standing in between the road and my family. It's second nature to me. It's just what I I was taught to do. That if something were to happen alongside the road, that I would be in between that and my family. And so when I walk along the street, my wife always stands to the inside of the road. When I'm walking with my kids, they stand to the inside of the road. And to illustratively point out this passage of harm coming from inside and harm coming, or outside and harm coming from inside, I stand specifically with my kids in between the road and them, to keep, make sure if harm's coming this way, I can get in the way, but also to keep them in their young youthfulness from running into danger. It's my job to to stand in the middle of them and danger coming from both ways. I protect them and keep them safe where they are, but I also keep danger from coming in. In similar ways, when I'm maybe not alongside the road, but I'm walking, that's unless my kids have run off ahead of me, that I always walk behind my wife. Why do I do that? Is that way I can always see uh, every aspect of part of her. So if, if danger is coming from behind, I'm in between danger and her. If I see danger coming up, I can see it coming when she might not be able to see it coming and I can step in. These are practical ways that I as a husband and a father position myself to protect my family. Now, it's obvious if someone were to kick in front of my door, I'd be ready and on alert to protect But in small ways, every single day, I step in and I position myself to protect. And I give that as an illustration because it's it's the role of elders when it means to shepherd the flock. A shepherd with his flock was always protecting them from danger. King David talks about how he would fight off lions and bears in order to protect his flock. And Christ likewise steps in and talks about he being the good shepherd and protects us. And so what does it mean for us as elders to protect? That means that it is our job to protect from outside danger. 
It's not just physical danger, but we're, we're talking uh, uh, spiritual. We're talking theological. We're talking doctrinal. We're talking emotional. It's, it's our job to step in in order to preach God's Word, communicate God's Word in order to protect. It's our job to also recognizing that we are not perfect in this room and all of us with sin in, in, in our lives. It's our job as elders also to protect us from ourselves. It is our job as elders to step in when there's controversy within the church. It's our job as elders and pastors to step in to marital, uh, marital relationships. It's our job to step in when there's a conflict within members in this church. It's our job to step in and to speak into those things. And so how does this apply to you? It, it applies to you, not just as a recipient, but you can position yourself also. It's one thing for me to position myself in a place in between the road and my wife, it's another thing for her to allow that to happen. It's another thing for her to recognize that that is, that is a role that I play and it's a role I want to play and she willingly allows me to fulfill that role. And so one of the things in our culture today, and I'm not going to spend as much time on all of these as I am this one, but one of the things in our culture today is this isolated uh, lifestyle that even within the church and this anti-authoritarian culture that says you as a pastor have no right to get into my business. And I want to lovingly tell you that it is my calling to get into your business. But, that, but this isn't a church thing. It, you can get into my life when it's a church thing, but this is a business thing. But listen to me. There's another issue with the church today in some ways is that we see church as just something that happens over here. But if Christ is the Lord of our life, then He's over all aspects of our life then it's my job as your pastor not to be nosy. I don't desire to be nosy. I'm quite introverted by nature. If it was up to me, I would just stick behind a book the whole time. But it's because the call that's on my life and my love for you is my, I step into that call to get in to your business, if you will, in order to lovingly help protect you in all aspects of life. And so a shepherd steps in and he protects the flock from harm outside and harm within. So would you willingly recognize that God is calling you to position yourself in a place to allow the elders to step in and to protect? Second, not only does a shepherd protect the flock, but a shepherd feeds the flock. I can't help but to think about this is Peter writing. And so I want to go to John chapter 21 where we see Jesus have this very conversation with Peter. Just years before, probably 20, 30 years before, approximately, before Peter writing this, Jesus would say these words to him in John chapter 21. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Referring to the fish. And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, then tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he had said this a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything and you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Now, we don't have the time to unpack this. It's a beautiful passage of scripture and it teaches so much about God's grace and forgiveness and redemption. But the call to Peter's life and ministry was wrapped up in these words, feed my sheep, tend my sheep, shepherd the flock. So it's no surprise that when Peter is writing to elders, he gives them one command, shepherd the flock of God. 
It's a beautiful illustration that Israelites would have understood completely that Jewish culture and even culture in the first century would have understood the imagery of a shepherd. Now, we don't have that imagery quite as much, especially for those who didn't grow up in farm settings or rural settings. But it's illustrative. It's a picture of recognizing what a shepherd has done. And so it's an imagery and it's a command to protect the flock and to feed the flock It was ultimately the shepherd's responsibility to make sure the flock had food and they had green pastures and they were eating good things. This is why in 1 Timothy chapter 3, Paul giving the qualifications, another passage dealing with the qualifications of an elder would say this, therefore an overseer, once again that's synonymous with elder, therefore an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. If we were to look at the whole list, you would recognize that out of the 10 plus things that Peter, or excuse me, that Paul in 1 Timothy lays out for elders, this is arguably the only one that is clearly and explicitly competency based. All the rest are character. That you must be above reproach, you must be holy, and he lists on the character traits. But when it came to this one competency, the competency is you must be able to teach. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean you have the ability to stand in front of hundreds and thousands on a stage and teach. He's not talking about the ability to please a crowd. He's talking about the ability to communicate sound doctrine and give good food and content that you're able to teach. You're apt to teach. You're up to the standard of teaching God's Word. Why? Because that is the feeding of the sheep. That is my job. It is my calling. And I I, use job because that's just a common phrase, but I really don't mean job in the sense of vocation. I mean job in the sense of calling because there are many elders and we even have an elder in our church that is not his job to be an elder, but it's his calling. And I even would throw it out there that I believe that there are those sitting in this room that are still called to be elders within this church and one day maybe will. But I'm not referring to a vocation. But when I say a call, it is my call to teach God's Word. It's my call to feed you. It's my call to make sure that I'm not feeding you my opinion but I'm feeding you God's Word. Titus 1.9, we've read it, but let me read it again. He must hold firm to the trustworthy Word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also rebuke those who contradict it. The contingency at the end of give instruction in sound doctrine is all that he holds firm to the trustworthy Word as taught. Meaning that I as a pastor have called to teach you this. I'm called to feed you this. Because Jonathan Nason's opinions might matter Somewhere, but they don't matter in here in some senses. My opinion on basketball might matter or my opinion on this might matter, but when it comes to feeding the the people of God, it is the Word of God only. That in my opinions, and if if there's ever a day that I'm in this room or I become a pastor who is teaching you my opinions, I pray that you vote to remove me from the pastor of your church because my authority sits only on the authority of God, not in and of myself. So as a hold firm, as we as pastors hold firm to the trustworthy word, we are called to feed you. Now that doesn't mean this. Now listen to me. That doesn't mean you don't have the ability to come to God's word yourself. And here's the problem with any illustration. Is that any picture of a pastor or an elder, if we only take that picture, it's, it's, it's incomplete and inadequate. There are other descriptions of a pastor and an elder besides just a shepherd. But using this idea... Don't hear me say that it's my job to teach you God's Word and that if you don't hear it from me, then you can't come to God's Word. This is one of the biggest problems of the church throughout all of history and a lot of history is they thought that they can't understand God's Word. They had to go to a priest. 
But we recognize that the Holy Spirit and that Christ is our priest and that because of Him, all of us can come to God's Word. However, it is my calling to help guide and teach in God's Word. Paul would say this to Timothy on his deathbed letter. Paul dying, the last thing he says to his disciple Timothy is this, all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for proof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. This right here. And that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Meaning God's word is for you. He would go on to say earlier in verse 15, it's for salvation. But it's also in verse 16 and 17 for sanctification. So that God's word, when it's taught to you, may bring you to completion. Then he goes on in chapter 4, verse 1, and says this. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will, endure sound, will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. What was that contingent on? The authority of God's Word. Therefore, we as pastors and as elders, all of us are called to study and learn God's Word. But we are called even more so. This is one of the privileges and the beauty of, of vocation within pastorship. It is my job to, to sit and study hours on end to make sure we understand God's Word. Make sure I can accurately teach God's Word. It's the reason why on a daily basis... I deal with the scriptures in both Greek and Hebrew, not to sound fancy, not to any of those things. It's quite annoying at times, but I recognize that God's word is in Hebrew and Greek and Aramaic. And so therefore, we, uh, we as pastors are called to study in those languages and to learn God's word so that we can faithfully feed you good food. That takes discipline. And as pastors, we are called to be very disciplined. We are called to read widely. I'm called to read in history and philosophy, we are called to engage with all these things so that we can help you know how to navigate the waters. I'm going to do a lot more reading on politics in the next year than I ever wanted to so that I can help, so that we can help pastor and shepherd you through the dicey waters of politics, especially of what they've become in our culture today. And so we want to help you. How do we navigate these waters in a Christ-like way and love and courage? It is our job to know these things. It's our job and it's our calling to be equipped in this. And so, likewise, would you position yourself, the application for you, would you position yourself to be fed? Would you position yourself to recognize that I come into this pulpit week in and week out spending hours and hours meditating on God's Word? That doesn't make me right. But I just want you to hear me say I'm trying to be faithful. Third, not only first does a shepherd protect, second does a shepherd feed, but a shepherd, third, leads the flock. In biblical language, a shepherd means to lead and to govern. We see this in 2 Samuel chapter 5, where it says this, In the past, the people said this to David, In the past, when Saul was king over us, who was the king before David, if you didn't know that, when Saul was king over us, it was you, once again referring to David, it was you, David, who led out and brought in Israel. And the Lord said to you, notice the language, you shall be shepherd of my people Israel, and you shall be, be prince over Israel. There's always a picture, and we're going to see this in First Timothy in a second, but there's a picture always of shepherd and the proper authority that comes with shepherd. We see in Scripture in the New Testament that the authority within the church, the leadership authority, is given to elders. 
This does not mean that elders are to be domineering. We'll see in our passage from 1 Peter that that is not the case. That authority is not something to be afraid of, but authority steps in to protect. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17, let the elders who rule, focus their rule, well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. In Titus 1, we've already read this, but in Titus 1, 7, Paul insists that a prospective elder be morally and spiritually above reproach. Why? Because he is God's steward. A steward is a household manager, someone who with official responsibility over the master's servants, property, and even finances. Elders are stewards of God's household, the local church. Peter tells elders here, or refers to this in 1 Peter chapter 5, he says, shepherd the flock of God is among you, exercising oversight. It's the clear understanding that we recognize that eldership, that the elders step in and are given the authority of God's Word. Now once again, let me be clear on a few things. That I, because I stand in the position of an elder or Pastor Jay or Pastor Andy, we are in the positions of authority over you spiritually in a lot of different contexts. We are called to step in in a lot of ways with that authority. But let's remember We are given authority not because of us, and I would argue not even simply because of the position, but we are given authority. Why? Because the primary role of an elder is to preach the Word of God and to pray. We know this from Acts chapter 6, when in the church history, when deacons were instituted to serve, they were instituted so that the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem continue to focus on the Word of God and prayer. See, it's not the position that comes with authority, but it's the role within the position to ultimately be the ones who speak and preach God's Word. The authority lies in God's Word, not with me. However, as I faithfully, and as we as elders faithfully fulfill the responsibility of teaching God's Word and living by God's Word and leading you by God's Word, that does come with some authority. But the authority is the ability to lead. We see a beautiful picture of this idea when Jesus, he would go ahead and say this in, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 42 through 44, and Jesus called them to him and said, talking to his disciples, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be the slave of all. Here's the point, is authority is not something that we should necessarily run from. I I recognize that in in history, and praise the Lord, not so much in this church, but in churches, pastors and elders use that authority in wrong, hurtful ways. And so churches will then go in and put rules in place to protect themselves, but the truth is you should never have to be protected from a shepherd, but the shepherd's job is to protect. That doesn't mean we're perfect and we'll do our best. But the point is, is that in this passage, he calls the type of leadership and authority not to be one that domineers, but be one that serves. Jesus would say those words and then would go and wash his disciples' feet. He would serve as the lowliest of servants, but no one would ever say that he was no longer in charge. And so the passage of calling leaders to step in and to serve is not to say that they do not have leadership ability or leadership authority, but it's to speak of how they are to lead. And so as we lead you, we are called to walk closely with Christ and to lead. 
And that does come with some authority as we see in Scripture. Not ever to go, hey, I, I'm, I'm authority because I'm a, the leader, but to recognize that comes with it. And let me continue that thought into truth number four, is that it means, the shepherd means that you are accountable for the flock. I need you to get this. And I'm going to read two passages of Scripture, and we're going to begin to start to close, or at least move in that direction. Well, if you recognize you still have a few blanks to go, but we'll go fast. The, the last three are really fast, I promise. But what does it mean to be accountable for the flock? Ezekiel chapter 3. I read this this morning in the one-year reading, and it just, every time I read it, just like a brick on me. Ezekiel 3 verse 20 says this, Again, if a righteous person turns from his righteousness and commits injustice, and I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die. Because you have not warned him. Now pause. God is calling Ezekiel to be a prophet. And he's giving him his marching orders, if you will. And he says that if, because you have not warned him, he shall die for his sin. And his righteous deeds that he has done shall not be remembered. But his blood I will require at your hand. What we didn't read earlier in the passage is, is uh, God told Ezekiel that I will put my words in your mouth and you are to speak them. And he's telling them, if you don't speak them, then people will fall in their sin and they'll die in their sin, but it'll be on you because you didn't warn them. Verse 21, but if you warn the righteous person not to sin and he does not sin, he shall surely live because he took warning and you will have delivered your soul. You've got to understand something. That when I just got done talking about it, it's, it's that there's leadership and authority that comes. It's not to go, hey, it's not like me with my kids sometimes when they do something, I tell them to do it, and I just simply go, because I'm in charge, right? This is just how it is. That's never a good answer. We want to give a better answer. But that's not what I'm trying to say, because I'm in It's not that at all, but what I am trying to say is, God has given us the call to lead because He has given us the call to be responsible for the flock. The writer of Hebrews would say it this way in Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Why? For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. But let them do this with joy and not groaning for that would be of no advantage to you. Guys, you've got to understand that part of the call, part of the joy of being a pastor here, one of the three elders and pastors of this church, that part with that joy and a part with that call is at night I'm thinking about you. In the morning I wake up and I'm thinking about you. Right now I'm thinking about my, one of my best friends in Mississippi who was a part of a community group with us, who was my assistant for many years, who buried her one month old son today. You have no idea one, just as a friend. But you've got to know that that's a, maybe a poor and a, maybe even an overly emotional example. But the burden that I carry, whether it's an extreme example, and I use that as an extreme example, or simply you're struggling through a, something simple, that we are accountable, that we love you, that we pray for you, and that we recognize that we are serving not for your approval, but for the approval of God. That when we give advice, it's not because it's something you, we think you want to hear, but it's because it's the Word of God and we're going to be held accountable to Him. That I answer to one and one person only, and that is Jesus Christ. And we as elders answer to one and one person only. Now, practically, we're accountable to you, absolutely. And that 
It should be. But I need you to know that we are accountable for the flock. And so when Peter makes these words, and I'll begin to wrap up, but when Peter says this, shepherd the flock of God, that's what it means. It means to protect. It means to feed. It means to lead. And it means to be accountable for. So know that, that we carry that weight, that we love you, that we care for you. But I would be at fault if I didn't point this back to a, the greatest picture in this. What does it mean to shepherd the flock? John chapter 10, verse 7 comes to mind. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes in only to still kill and destroy, but I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. See that language? He's accountable for the sheep. He lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees a wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I laid down my life for the sheep. Jesus is our good shepherd. An elder is, yes, to display and represent Jesus, but an elder is most definitely not the good shepherd. Peter's encouragement to the elders here is to display Christ, but Christ is whom we all must turn to to be the shepherd of our souls. Peter would say this specifically in 1 Peter 5, verse 4 in our text, and when the chief shepherd appears you will receive the unfading crown of glory. I need you to understand that Jesus is the one who protects us. Jesus is the one who feeds us with good things. Jesus is the one who leads us into pastures, as Psalms 23 would say, that He, he brings us into safekeeping. Even through tough times, He is the one there to protect and to bring us and to bring us into communion with Him. Jesus is the one who is accountable for our souls. And praise be to God, Jesus was the one who is accountable for our souls when He went to the cross for us. See, elders, this picture of a shepherd is, is that we are under shepherds, as some would call it. That we as pastors are, are recognizing that we are under the chief shepherd. And it is our job to point you to him. It is our job to follow him and say, come follow me as I follow him. It is our job to point you in that direction. It's our job to serve. And so, to fill in those last three blanks, how is an elder to do this? Peter will tell him, he tells him, shepherd the flock, but then he tells them How? First, as he says this, you must do it willingly, not under compulsion. Verse 2, shepherd the flock of God is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly. Meaning nobody must make you do this. No one must make you do this. You must willingly choose to do this. But then, second, you must do it eagerly, but not for selfish gain. He says this, um, not for shameful gain or selfish gain, but eagerly. Meaning, not only should someone not make me do it, I shouldn't do it because I profit from it. But if my motivation is to willingly do this for selfish gain, then we're missing the point. But as an elder is called to willingly do it, not under compulsion, eagerly do it, not for selfish gain, and then thirdly, he's to do it by serving, not by domineering. Not domineering, verse 3 says, over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Serving, setting an example of the following. In the same way Christ set an example by serving, we are called to set an example 
by serving, not by domineering. And I've already read the passage that Jesus refers to this in Mark chapter 10. So as an elder, I need you to know, as the elders here at New Hope, we willingly and eagerly want to serve you. We willingly and eagerly want to step in and protect, feed, lead, and we are gladly accountable. That is, that is a weighty thing, but we are accountable for your soul. He ends in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. This is an interesting verse that over years I've begun to understand more clearly. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. My pastor, who was my elder, who is my pastor, for many years is going to be here this next weekend. And one of the things this week while studying for this is the Lord convicted me that I need to apologize to Him. Because He had to deal with me for, He had to deal with me for my 20s. And you got to know something. I'm a 20-year-old, 21-year-old pastor stepping into pastoring and I'm excited. And I'm coming out with all these ideas and I'm mad at Him going, why aren't, why aren't you implementing these ideas? This is gold. This is good stuff. Why aren't you doing this? I remember... I remember having a conversation about seven years, eight years ago, sitting down with him and just expressing my frustration that the church wasn't doing this or the church wasn't doing that. And I had all these ideas and why wasn't he doing them? It's clear that scripture says this, so why aren't we doing this, this, and on and on and on. And he just lovingly looked at me and encouraged me to continue to be faithful and that one day I would understand. And one day I did learn something. I'm only 30. And I imagine when I'm 40 and 50 and 60, this will be more and more true. But I am so grateful that he didn't listen to my ideas when I was 20. And I was 21 and 22 and 23 and 24. The point is, is with, there is no doubt with experience and time and walking maturity that we see things differently. But it is normal for younger, newer Christians or younger, just in general, passionate Christians, never wanting to... Uh, um, Put out your passion, but also be okay with, at times, elders are going to redirect your passion. And that is a good thing for the kingdom of God. And so he, I love how he ends talking to me years ago going, Jonathan, you should have done a better job submitting because your pastor knew what he was talking about. And I'm going to look at him. And I'm going to apologize for giving him a hard time. And I'm going to go, you knew what you were doing. And I should have trusted you. And so I say that as an example to go, I have failed in this area, but yet the passage still commands it. That for those that are in here, that does not mean elders are perfect, but for those of you who are eager and young and passionate and you wonder sometimes why we do things a certain way, have, have conversations with us, but there is still a call to submit and to follow. And he goes on and gives the charge to all, that all of you put on humility. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And I want to end simply with this, is that how we relate to one another, how you relate to elders and elders, vice versa, and as we think about our call and all these things, we are to do all of it clothed in humility because that's how we come to the good shepherd. It's how we come to the chief shepherd in humility. We don't come to the chief shepherd as if we're in charge. We don't come to the chief shepherd in our pride and our sin, but we come in humility to his cross and we say, Jesus, I need you. I am not my own. I can't be my own. I'm not a very good shepherd of my own. In the same way a sheep runs off and I often do, I'm the one within the hundred that run off Leaving the 99, I'm so grateful that you as the chief shepherd comes and gets me. And so let us not only interact with one another in humility, but let us come to Christ with humility.
And so I end with simply asking you this question. Is Jesus the chief shepherd of your soul? Have you ever come to him? Are you now in a state of humility before him and going, you're king, you're Lord. I've run away from the flock and I'm so grateful that you right now in this moment are calling me in. See, because this is a practical dealing with elders and not, but you've got to understand the point. The fact that I exist as an elder and my call as a shepherd is all because of Jesus. So this isn't about me. This isn't about the other elders. This is about the elder. This is about the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. Do you know him as Lord and, your, as Lord and Savior? Would you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you for your goodness in our lives. We thank you for that you are the good shepherd. We thank you that we are your own as John chapter 10 says, that when, when the wolf comes in to, to destroy me and destroy the flock, you are there to step in and protect. In fact, you lay down your life to protect us and to give us hope so that we can come in and out, that we can go and, and eat in good pasture so that we could be a part of the flock, to use that language, to be a part of the family, to be a part of your kingdom, to be a son and daughter of the king. We are grateful for you. So Father, I pray over this room and I pray that if there's anybody in here who does not know you as Lord and Savior, that today they would turn to you as the chief shepherd. That they would see that you will protect them. You'll protect them from outside danger. You'll protect them from inside danger. You'll protect them from themselves. You'll protect me from myself. That you'll feed me. That you'll help me grow. You'll give me everything I need that you'll lead me always, every single day. You'll lead me to eternity. You'll lead me for eternity. And I'm grateful that you laid your life on the cross to be accountable for me. You didn't have to. I deserve to be accountable for myself, but you bore that for me. You laid down your life for the sheep. Put yourself in front of the wolf, and that we're grateful and that we have life as we turn to you. We worship you. We glorify you. We give our all to you. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Just stand with me as we just spend some time worshiping the chief shepherd tonight.